Welcome, Guardians. It's January 17th, 2016, and you're listening to Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. This is Beta Chieftain. I am not X-Ray. And you can blame X-Ray, because he is online on our Slack chat, but he is refusing to respond. So, blame him. Send him angry tweets if you don't like hearing from me. But uh, (laughs) I'm here this week with Drop Slash and and Handsome Dragon. How are you guys doing? Not too bad, not too bad. Putting together IKEA furniture today. Oh, exciting. Fun, fun. (laughs) I did that a few days ago, so. And uh, it's fun. And I'm I'm also I'm I'm introing this week because it's official, Books of Sorrow, Part Two. So uh, we finally are getting around to it. And since Drop will be talking almost the entire episode, we we might me and Chad maybe we'll just mute our mics, sit back, and just let Drop <laughs> um, lull lull the rest of you either to sleep or just you can listen to his oh, sweet sounds. On. But <laughs> yeah. maybe maybe he'll hum you some more tunes. Uh, we the, we heard you guys enjoyed first, that last week. <laughs> the first few cards here are some of the favorite cards in the Books of Sorrow, so I'm going to try to talk as much as I can, but Drop definitely has the uh, superior uh, knowledge and information here, so he'll, he will be, the, I'm sure, leading it for the most part. Yeah, and I'm hopefully I can contribute. I've been in, I've been working on the Rasputin notes, so I've just been in war mind land for a long time, so it'll be, it'll be nice coming back to the hive. Um, right. so let's see here. A couple quick announcements. Well, hold on, uh, hold on. We, before we, before we go into announcements, right. uh, right. uh, I just want to say, so this is episode 10 of ghost stories. We started the books of sorrow in episode four. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, you should probably go back and listen to that before you listen to this one. Uh, and if you have already heard mm-hmm. that one, uh, we sincerely appreciate your support. Uh, and also, this is going to be a long episode. You can probably tell already from the runtime that we get deep into this. So make sure you're ready. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, and drop since you're talking, we're gonna um, we're gonna do a contest to start off the new year. And drop has kind of been in charge of the prizes on this one. So drop, I'm gonna let you explain to our listeners what we're gonna be giving away. All right. Yeah, we teased this uh, during the last episode, but. Uh, the past week or so, right over the Christmas break, I found somebody who makes amazing 3D printed ghosts. Uh, so I ordered myself up my Dread Explorer version of the ghost, which I absolutely love. So now I have him sitting on my desk and we decided that, hey, let's run a contest uh, for like an awesome, successful year that we've had and give one of these away. So the grand prize in this upcoming contest will be a uh, 3D printed ghost. Uh, from the team and we're also gonna have a second uh, place prize which is going to be one of the plush ghosts from the bungee store those things sell out the second they're available but uh i've got a couple here so we're gonna give those away as well awesome and so for uh for submission for entry into this contest we're just going to ask that you tweet at us so as a reminder we're at d ghost stories um on twitter and we're going to ask that you tweet us your favorite lore topic, person, place, enemy, class, whatever it be. Uh, tweet us your favorite lore topic and then add the hashtag DGS3DGhost. That's the number three. So the idea would be Destiny Ghost Stories 3D Ghost. So again, the hashtag is DGS3DGhost. 
And that's just so that we can, you know, search the tweets later and find them all. Um, and we're going to be running this contest until the end of the month. And that's, so that's January. So that should give you about 11 days, uh, assuming we release this when we intend to. <laughs> and so hopefully that's plenty of time. And yeah. Uh, so we got an ignored lore for this week. A quick one. It's been a little while since we've done one of these. And so, Dragon, why don't you take this ignored lore for us? Yeah, awesome. Um, so right, this first one we're going to talk about is, and I think we might save the next two for part three of Book of Sorrows because we're going to have so much to talk about tonight. Um, but we're looking at uh, some rare warlock artifacts, and they're all linked to the hive in, in some strange kind of way. And so the first one is uh, Spectral Dust, and uh, I believe this is the uh, the flavor text. It's a sample of the mystery, mysterious particulate that protects and hides the reef from invaders. And uh, if you look out from various areas on the Dragnaut, you can see clouds of this floating around the wreckages of the Orkin fleet. So that's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I when I was digging through these for the ignored lore, I've always looked out the side of the Dreadnought. And if you look at sort of those, uh, the big catches that are floating out there, they're partially destroyed. There's this great, like, purpley, blue, sparkly haze over a lot of them. You can sometimes see it mm-hmm. um, in the Crucible map, too, as well. I always wondered what that was. So then I was digging through these sort of rare artifacts. And the I feel that some of these rare artifacts... Not only are they ignored, they're mostly just like infusion materials. Like we get them from Iron Banner. We get them from the raid challenges. It's like, sweet, it's 320. Immediately infuse <laughs> it into something that I actually use. So this is an interesting one. And I also like the flavor text here is that, you know, it it protects and hides the reef from invaders. Uh, so we know that the reef is protected both internally and externally by sort of like awoken space magic. But it seems like this is an integral part of that uh, awoken space magic, this spectral dust. Magic space dust. Yeah. Awesome. So, and like we said, we're going to save the uh, the other two for what will probably end up being part three of the Books of Sorrow. <laughs> <laughs> One of them is really long. Okay. Sounds good. So, uh, so now that we have ignored lore... Out of the way, we're going to pick back up on the Books of Sorrow from where we left off. And Drop, why don't you take us in? All right. So when we left off in the last episode, we left off right at verse 3-0, which was the creation of the Hive. Uh, You know, the three sisters have, for all intents and purposes, made a deal with the devil, with the, the worm gods. Uh, and they've tran- they've been transformed from sort of like their original sort of meek krill-like beings that they started as, and now they have become a gigantic sort of galactic force here uh, in the hive. The, the power of the worms is growing inside of them. Uh, they are, they're following the oaths that they originally kept, and they're also sort of now enslaved to the, the will of the worms inside them. Uh, Arash, uh, has become Oryx, A-U-R-Y-X, uh, which is his king morph. Jairo is now Jivu Arath, uh, a knight morph. And Sathona is now Savathun, which is the mother morph, which, remember from the earlier books, was always her dream. Uh, each of the three of them commanded vast armies, and now they're spreading outwards, uh, both at the behest of the worm gods and sort of for a greater purpose here, which we'll get into as we go through these. 
All right. So, and I guess we, for our listeners, we might read some of these. We might summarize some of these. So if you have the grimoire open next to you, <laughs> this might be one of those episodes that's good for you to uh, follow along in your own books of sorrow while we kind of take you through the verses and might not read all of them. But we're going to start out with verse 3-1. And so it's called an incision. And what's actually really interesting to me right off the bat is, so these armies are pretty vast. They've spread across the many moons of the fundament. And they ask the question, how will we speak? And it's funny because you think for a second and they have these armies and things, but they're not necessarily a technologically advanced race. You know, they, they, uh, kind of use their space magic. And so it's kind of funny to think that the hive for how vast they are at first kind of have trouble communicating because you think, you know, with us, the guardians and it's kind of a basic thing, right? (laughs) So, um, that just struck me as being kind of funny, but anyway, the verse kind of starts out with Savathun talking to Oryx. Go ahead, drop. Uh, This is an interesting card because again, so they they have just become they have just named themselves the hive so it's not like everything immediately is organized when they do that they have just chosen a name and they solve the same problems that they had before uh but what's interesting right here at the start is uh you know savathun says oryx my brother and king and this is the first reference we really get that oryx is now brother and not sister so now it's one brother and two sisters versus the three sisters that they were up until this point. Right, right. Uh, and then Savathun here goes into how she has been studying uh, sort of wounds cut by the worm. Uh, and these are, we'll get into this. We talked a, a little bit about that with the uh, the sword logic. Uh, and she is basically, she is studying the matter of life and death. She studied Oryx's death and return uh, and she says here, these two things are the same. They're predicated on death and the passage through these cut spaces. Let us practice the sword logic until we are sharp. Then we, we may cut our own wounds and step through. So they, they know that the sword logic here is very powerful and they need to be masters of it to continue. Right. And then interestingly, Sivu then immediately says, I'm already sharp. Look, my sword cuts into another space. So it seems that while Savathun was busy studying these sword spaces, uh, Sivu or Shivu has already kind of mastered it. And to me, that makes sense because she took the night morph, right? And so she's basically mm-hmm. a goddess of war. She is war. Yeah. And so if these, if the entrance into these sword spaces is predicated on death, then she, it seems, would likely be the one to discover it first since she's the most practiced in death. Yeah. Later when when they create their, uh, you know, their courts, you know, Oryx creates his court on the Dreadnought, you know, Savathifun creates the, the her, you know, High Coven, and then Zivu just says, you know, the whole world is my court. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the difference between them. And what's interesting here is also is that, you know, Zivu says, and she cut her way between moons and through green fire and joyous screams. And we're familiar with that green fire. Uh, we see that sort of in Oryx's mm-hmm. uh, oversoul throne. So Th- what are the world, green, yeah. yeah, the green fire seems to be 
sort of a a product of this interdimensional space. I don't think it's caused by any one of them. I just think it's sort of like a naturally occurring thing there. Yeah. The nether worlds are just green. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's funny, totally off topic. Somebody recently did a breakdown of Disney films. Uh, and every time, I think in almost every Disney film, whenever the main villain is on screen or has a musical number, they're accompanied by green flames. <laughs> So there was a warning saying, if you ever see green flames with somebody <laughs> singing a song, there's a good chance they're evil. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so getting back into this this card yeah. here, um, the, the next line here, you know, it you know it definitely doesn't have. Uh, we don't know exactly the correlation here, but it, when I read it, I think of the. Um, the card from that Toland from Toland about the three kingdoms. Um, and just the line here says three kingdoms grew swollen in the sword space. They were the gaze and glory of Oryx, the cunning knowledge of Savathun, the triumph and brawn of Zivu Arath. And uh, when, you, when I read that, it just, it draws parallels to me that the uh, analogy that Toland gives about the, uh, you know, the three queens and the three kingdoms. And, um, yeah, which that's and, uh, a ghost fragment darkness three. Correct. Yeah, and, and Obeda, I know you had some some thoughts on that. If you wanted to share those as well. Yeah, well, it's just interesting because if we remember, Tolan describes one of the queens as kind of being a queen of law, the other one as being kind of just a queen of like the stars. You know, would, she built a tower for her civilization to look at the stars, and then the third queen was a queen of armies. And in this context, you know, Shivu could very much be the queen of armies. And it, it's kind of interchangeable between Savathun and Oryx for the other two. Because I don't necessarily think of Savathun as being law. But at the same time, Oryx, we know, was a curious person. So the stars kind of make sense, whatever. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it definitely fits. And and at the same time, I, I've always thought, too, the the three queens card um to me sounds very much also like the hive the vex and the guardians um because we know in the end all three queens have armies and so clearly the vex are very much an army and obviously there's the cabal but i don't really think the cabal are striving for universal domination and the extinction of all other species so <laughs> well we really know count, here also that, I don't count that these these three sisters all each have their own armies as well Right. The note about yeah. law is interesting, though, because we're going to learn later that that when it comes to Oryx, Oryx really becomes the law. Uh, but right, yeah, right, the, the the, the mm -hmm. curiosity and stars is also very much him as well. So yeah, um, but yeah. So this Tolan's Tolan's analogy seems to you know when when we first received it in the dark below is that when we got it? But when we first received it, it, it didn't make a lot of sense. But now um, with the books of sorrow. It very much um, seems much more applicable now. Mm -hmm. So, and this is important of the follow-up sort of sentence here is, these kingdoms were created from the minds and worms of our lords. And they say here basically that you're not only, the willpower is a huge part of sort of the hive methodologies and that it's not enough to just rend a physical space that you have to sort of use willpower to sort of tear holes uh, and mm -hmm. keep things interconnected through the sheer power of will. It's not just enough to physically build it. So 
Uh, and it also means that there's like an extra dimension to all these worlds, like even with the Oversoul Throne, where we physically enter the Oversoul Throne uh, when we fight Crota, there's also a mental element there. Like there's a there's a mental connection. There's an other, another dimension uh, that connects his Oversoul Throne to all these other worlds. Uh, so it's more than just a physical space that's occupied. Mm-hmm. I think this is what this is. Cotamorous? <laughs> yeah, co- co- Coterminous or something. Oh, Coterminous would make sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, well, it's interesting too. So that, that word, that, that word means having the same borders and covering the same area. So this sentence, uh, you know, they were Cotomorous with all spaces consecrated by the hive. Uh, these spaces passed through these spaces past speech and food and the moons were bound close. So this solves that problem at the beginning, which was how do we, how do we eat? How do we speak to each other? Uh, so the creation of these sword spaces that connect the physical mm-hmm. properties of all the hive. Right. Yeah. And I kind of think, I think that's interesting too, because we, we always talk about, um, you know, proper words, you know, worms capitalized, not capitalized, you know, deep capitalized not capitalized and in the line above you know worms isn't capitalized and it's yes. like the minds and word worms of our lords and so i think the first time i read that i kind of i think i read it kind of quickly and i saw the worms there and i just in my mind thought oh the, these spaces were created by like the worm gods but that's that's not what they're saying here at all it's the it's the worms of of their lords like i'm guessing like the the hive ascendance you know that they you create in the the card before when the hive were kind of named and created. It's like that's where these spaces were kind of made from. Yeah, and we're 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 going to talk about that too. That later on, the these sort of ascendant hive lords become very very critical to all this. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then we have here we have uh, saith Oryx. Uh, this is where I went when I died. Let us establish our thrones here, for I am Oryx, the first navigator, and I shall chart death, and my throne shall be carved of osmium. So we know. That, so this interdimensional space that they've carved into is Oryx has already been there, and it's interesting here where he says, "I shall chart death." It, that seems almost like a way for Oryx to sate his worm. I mean, he's bound for exploration and curiosity. Uh, and sh- death is sort of infinite and unending, so that could be an easy way to sate his worm forever uh, by charting the infinite. And then that last sentence, and my throne shall be carved of osmium, is very much a a nod back to his father. Yeah, the osmium king. Mm-hmm. So that takes us to verse 3-2. So how many minutes did that one take us? <laughs> so... <laughs> So we definitely might yeah. not be having a part three. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, so verse three, two is the high war. So it says now in this time of. Di- Diaspora. Dispo- yep. Diaspora. <laughs> so that basically means according to drop here, peoples forced from their homelands. Um, so basically in a time of, of fleeing, you could almost say, um, of other people's, but it's just interesting because the fundament wasn't their home world, but 
Yeah, correct. Their their home world smashed into fundament. <laughs> yeah. But I guess they were there long enough that I suppose they could have adopted it. And so, and yeah, so there's kind of this, it's not a lull, but there's this kind of transitionary time where the hive have just discovered these sword spaces and they're kind of exploring charting death. And so basically death, they start worshiping and their worship is death. So they kind of start just killing each other and warring on each other. And they do this all so that they can chart death, um, expand their throne worlds and kind of master this art of the sword logic and cutting into the spaces and so it says in the card that they do this for 20,000 years. And they do it for worship, you know, in worship of the deep. Oryx made yeah. war on Savathun, it says. Well, this is and important. This between, is it's like a funding, uh, fundamental part of Hive philosophy here, that, mm-hmm. that war is love and love is war. You know, by warring on each other, they firmly believe that they're making each other stronger and they're doing that out of love. Like, I love you, so I'm going to try and kill you so you get stronger and don't get killed. Yeah, that paragraph there is one of one of my favorites. When I read these for the first time, I remember I, I read that and I just, I just started laughing and I sent it to my brother and I was just like, this is awesome. And it's, <laughs> you know, I'll read it real quick. It just says, for 20,000 years, they fought across the moons, and they fought in the abysmal plains and lightning palaces of each other's sword spaces. And they killed each other over, or they killed each other again and again, so that they could practice death. Such was their love. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like love to me. <laughs> Killing each other again and again. Well, if you grew up with siblings. Yeah, right. <laughs> Dragon, you have in the comments here, good, clean family fun. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I have two brothers, so I can relate. <laughs> and then, and this, ne- this next kind of paragraph, it kind of, at least to me, highlights um, why they spent all this time. Because then it says, At last the many moons came to many worlds, and it was time to go to war on life. So it seems like part of the reason they were practicing death for these 20,000 years are that they were kind of moving very slowly, it would seem, through space to, because yeah, so it says, at last, the many moons came to the many worlds. So yeah, so it seems like the whole time they were kind of traveling slowly through space on these moons, they were practicing death. I also like this line because it implies that the hive basically used the moons as giant death stars and move around the galaxy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So why build spaceships when you could simply hollow out a moon and fly in a moon? So yeah, this we've is, talked about I mean, before. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, we've talked about before in other episodes about, you know, possibly our moon and you know, our solar system being a, you know, a hive ship in a way. And, you know, it says that they, many moons came to many worlds. And, you know, it's, well, you know, there are some holes in that, you know, the main one being why would the traveler come to a system that had a moon full of hive if that's who he's, the travelers fleeing this whole time. So there's that big kind of hole there, but you know, it is, it is interesting, you know, knowing the hive were there for a long time and not really know how they got there or when they got there. Yeah. And I hadn't thought of that before for some reason. I mean, in the previous verse, it said that everything was kind of bound close, but it might just be that it was bound close through the sword space. 
So I, in my head, I'd always kind of just pictured them moving as like a giant fleet of moons, but maybe it is, mm-hmm. you know, many moons, but they were going, every single moon was going to a different world by itself. And obviously we know, we read later in these cards that Oryx and his sisters stay together, but yeah. um, it does kind well, of mentioned- make you wonder if the hive almost kind of seeded lots of solar systems, you know, and just were waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I know Drop mentioned earlier about you know this sort of, the spaces kind of being connected in a with a Crota's his uh, kind of oversoul throne being you know somewhat connected to the caves on the moon. You know that could have been the passageway there if they were able to just travel through that space. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. It's also worth noting that you know we don't twenty thousand years isn't as in a long time, uh, but we also, we don't know whose years we're talking about here. Uh, mm-hmm. We had previously, when we talked about fundament in the last episode, you know, we talked about, oh, you know, the proto hive only lived to be 10 years old. Uh, but what is a year on their planet? Like if one year, if fundament is an enormous gas giant and it takes, you know, 10 regular years for humans to make one orbit and that's considered one year, then the hive actually lived to be a hundred years old, not 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So this is something we'll encounter a lot in the books of sorrow is that they use terms for time without any sort of context. We don't know what a year is. We don't know what a cycle is. Like they'll Mm -hmm. just throw these words out there without giving us any context. Yeah. And I know we get a lot of, you know, comparisons between, you know, Jupiter and the fundament. And, you know, just for reference, you know, one year on Jupiter is 12 Earth years. So if if it's a similar case with the fundament t- being the same time as that, you know, those 10-year high will have to be, you know, 120. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of just what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, so that's, it's worth noting that. And now, I mean, whatever, who knows? They're traveling around on moons in no particular orbit, so who knows how they're keeping track of time. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but here we and here we have uh, that passage that we just mentioned. So, at last, the many moons came to the many worlds, and it was time to go to war on life. Oryx said, "I shall establish a court, and whoever comes into this court may challenge me. My court will be the high war, and it will be the killing ground and a school of the sword logic we have learned from our gods." Savathun thought this was a great idea. She made a court called the High Coven. Jivu Arath said, the world is my court, wherever there is war. Uh, So this is interesting. Also, in hindsight, we know that destroying Oryx's court was a huge part of his eventual downfall. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so we also have the High Coven with Savathun. We don't know much about it. But if Jivu Arath's court is the world wherever war exists it technically means that you know whatever intergalactic cosmic peace would be the end of Jivurath. Uh and that also ties back to that fragment uh ghost fragment darkness three about the three queens uh you know told in that card uh there's sort of like you know the those who establish law in their tower and seek peace are will always lose 
But should should that ever happen, should sort of the fighting ever stop, it would be in fact if Jivu is the sort of queen of war, she would be the one who loses because her court would be gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, and and clearly, just to bring up, you know, kind of the factions and things, it's interesting too, even with the factions, how they kind of sway one way or the other. So, you know, in the future war cult, if they were to ever become more prominent, you know, the guardians would see it would seem would always just take the warring route. They would never even try for peace because they kind of gave up. Um, then you have like a new monarchy who's very much about reestablishing a peaceful golden age, etc. So anyway, and then dead orbit who just want to get out of there. Yeah, who just they don't care. They just want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So In my notes here, I have a mention that uh, wherever there is war, I have the cabal mentioned just because they. They're like a almost. They seem so far like a purely war-based culture, right? And yeah, and it makes you, it makes you wonder, like, can Shivu get power? Like, if the Cabal are just warring, and Shivu's not really anywhere in the vicinity, can she still gain power from their warring? You know, or does she have to be the one waging the war? Yeah, well, I mean, this is going to be. That's a, a super important question as we learn that the Hive's entire purpose is war. And, I mean, arguably the Guardian's entire purpose is to just go <laughs> make war on things. So it yep. seems mm-hmm. – I mean, the whole future war called philosophy is that the war is inevitable. So right. uh, Jifu's court seems to always be in session. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that takes us to verse 3.3, three, which is fire without fuel. And this one starts off with a bang. <laughs> uh, I made a note here. Uh, <laughs> so this is interesting. I'll bring this up now, but I'll talk more about it later. Uh, within the books of sorrow, different verses start different ways. Some verses like this one and three one, the titles are in all lowercase letters. Some are in all capital letters. Some are just like a mix of uh, sort of proper first capitalization. And there is distinct writing styles within each of these. What the importance is, I don't know. Uh, I'll bring it up later. I've got a bunch of notes on it. But it's important. Verse 3-1 and verse 3-3 so far are all lowercase titles. Whether it's important or not remains to be seen. Uh, But this fire without fuel, and this could be potentially uh, a reference to a book of Hindu uh, aphorisms by Baba Hari Das. Uh, their meditations on the nature of the mind and of the world and of attachments and the self. And it's sort of based around a realization uh, with a connecting theme centered around the ability to find inner peace. So those themes do exist here within the hive. We'll get much later. We'll discover that they, these things weigh on Oryx a lot, but it's interesting that this title appears so early on. And like as as Dragon said, it it starts off with a bang. Go ahead, Dragon. I killed my I killed my sister today. <laughs> it's a good great, way to start. Great way to start a journal entry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Says that the next verse is uh, she came to the star to oversee the extermination of all life here. So the how do you pronounce this one? It's a kugu. Kugu. That's how I'd say it. Kugu. Yeah. The the kugu are a strong power. 
and their fleets protect four nearby stars. As herd animals, they are loyal and stubborn, but they do show grace. I don't... Uh, again, I'll talk about later. These lowercase cards, these are weird cards. I think this is a weird card. <laughs> like, I know what it's trying to point out. Like, I understand the importance of this card and why it's here. But we don't need to know all this stuff. This is like... <laughs> to me, this is like somebody had an idea for an alien race and then flesh it out in this card just for the sake of being able to flesh it out in this card. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. Well, here, let's, uh, let's be kind to their, to their made up race and read about them. So it says <laughs> for millions of years of evolution, the Kogu have been infected by a virus so insidious that it wrote itself into their genome. The virus compels them to offer their limbs for amputation by enormous sessile jaw beasts. They venerate these beasts and treat them as gods. The virus converts kugu cells into eggs, from which strange crawling things pupate, to live within the jaw beast gut. In turn, the jaw beast extrudes sweet nectar for the kugu to drink, and they have brilliant visions. And then, Savathun and her broods have liberated the kugu from jaw beasts. <laughs> And indeed, from existence. <laughs> so we, we get this lovely description of them as a people, and that Savathun took care of it. And uh, I had to look it up because I had no idea what a, what a what is it, sessile uh-huh. um, yes. organism was. It's, and it's, uh, it's like a, similar to like a barnacle uh, or a plant or animal structure, but it's fixed in one place, like immobile, um, attached directly by its base type of thing. So that's the kind of the jaw beast that they were doing. I'm like imagining their... this giant barnacle <laughs> now. <laughs> and the cuckoo just sort of march up and throw their arms yep. into it. Space barnacles. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I read that, that description, as then I, I started immediately started thinking of that big, you know, eating, uh, human eating plant from a Rocky horror picture show. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that is not Rocky horror picture show. You're thinking of Little Shop of Horrors. What am I thinking? Oh, that's, yeah, sorry. I've been. <laughs> Yeah, Little Shop of Horrors. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's close. And I like that they use the word amputation here. That will come up much later on in the books as a theme. So I think this is worth bringing up now. Um, One of the next lines says, but as they chased the Kugu Ark ships, um, then it, then it says Oryx stopped to vaporize his sister's warship. Um, (laughs) But I think the interesting thing to bring up so we know that the fallen are named, you know, we know that they're called the Elixni. Um, but this description of this race, it sounds very fallen-like with the docking. I'm sure people will bring it up with the Ark ships. So the the Kugu and the Elixni, we don't believe those are the same species, right? No. Or do we? No. No. <laughs> All right. I, I think no, it's I mean, good to bring up because it's one of those well, verses where, you know, you start reading, you're like, oh, docking and ether and arc ships. Like, well, that's the point, so right? So the jaw beast extrudes sweet nectar for the kugu to drink. Do we think that's ether? I don't think so. Then they have brilliant visions. I mean, this makes it describe like, you know, they chuck their arms into these giant space barnacles and the giant space barnacles give them LSD uh, in return. <laughs> like that that doesn't, I mean, unless all the fallen are high all the time. Then well, there there I, is the house of rain who had the visions. Maybe the nectar was raining down <laughs> and they right. had visions. You're stretching this here. 
<laughs> but it's it's worth bringing up because I know your, some, your someone's going to say it. Yeah, to me, to me, it's a no because we know the true fallen name are Elixni, and these people are called the yeah. Kugu. So unless they randomly change their name, they're not the same thing. So I think the the, the most fun part of this card right here is the uh, I stopped. I stopped in to vaporize my sister's worship and a few of her underlings. So it's like, <laughs> like stopping, stopping by her house to deliver. Some, yeah. Some well, it's like you have Sabathun <laughs> is like chasing these things across whatever galaxy, like hunting them down, destroying them. And then like orcs are just sort of sitting there waiting. It's like checking his watch, checking his watch. Oh, the flanks yeah. open, vaporize them. <laughs> like yeah. and and immediately after he, yeah, immediately after that, he, he says, I want to sit, I want to dwell on the ruins a while. And so yeah, so he's just now just going to sit there and dwell on the ruins of this, you know, this <laughs> just like species that they just wiped her. out. <laughs> yeah, you know, the full line there is: I want to dwell on the ruins a while and punish Savathun for failing to guard her flank. And it's interesting here, you know, he mentioned that the cougar bound in symbiosis similar to uh, the three sisters, which I don't think is kind of a different story going on here. It says I feel joy and sorrow. I feel them as titanic beings because I am larger than my body. My mind is now a cosmos of its own. So it's like, so for a split second, you're like, oh, maybe Oryx is kind of sympathetic to what's going on here. Like he, he understands these beings that they have some sort of equivalent level. And the next sentence is, I know more joy and more anguish than the entire Kugu race could ever experience. So that, <laughs> that feeling of equality lasts for a moment of thought before he realizes that he is the far superior being. Right. Although it goes into the next sentence. Yeah, the next line is kind of the same way. Yeah, you're about to read it. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of starts off where you get this little bit of, you know, a little insight to maybe there being a conscience still, where it says, you know, where he says before, I feel joy and sorrow. And here he says, sorrow because we have killed so much, 18 species this century alone, and joy for the same reason. And so he kind of starts it off with, you know, like, oh, he kind of is realizing that they've killed a lot and he's kind of feeling sorrowful, but then can't kills it and says, but he feels joy for the exact same reason. Yeah. Joy that we have put down these blights, <laughs> like anything, mm-hmm. anything that is not strong enough to survive against them is a blight that needs to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought it, yeah, I, made that's how he here that. I made a note here on the word blights because that's what we call the sort of taken infestations call those blights yeah and and he goes on in that vein of them not being worthy he goes on to say for if they were not parasites we would we would be unable to kill them and they would still exist so yeah it's this that's, whole yeah the core the tenant of, of the hive logic yeah so you made an interesting note here will, that this the sense about uh, we are the wind of progress and the possibility are, are we sure that's not the whirlwind <laughs> we're not sure but 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 in a way that i mean i don't think he's referencing that here but in a way that's true you know if the traveler left the elixir because they were being chased by the hive then the loss of the traveler their whirlwind was caused by oryx and the hive yeah so yeah. in that way this wind of progress very much could be a much later reference to that very true. And this this last comment we have for this verse drop, it's something that, well, you can you can uh, describe it much more eloquently than me. So go ahead. 
Oh, this so so up above, you know, he says, uh, scoured them away and left the universe clean, ready to move towards its final shape. And what is that final shape? It is a fire without fuel, burning forever, killing death, asking a question that is its own answer, entirely itself. That is what we must become. This line jumped out at me because if you ever play a warlock and you do the Stormcaller quest, Ikora Ray very clearly states that a warlock uh, and their connection to power is a question that is its own answer. That a warlock is both the question and the answer. So, and this is, that's even then is is a a way to explain Guardians on the whole. Like, and again, it's summed up so clearly and perfectly with the Guardians make their own fate. Uh, we exist uh, in a paracausal state that allows us to defy what is determined to exist and not exist. Uh, Guardians make their own fate is a statement of defiance against a predetermined reality, but also a reminder that guardians are not bound by causality at all. We are we are the question, but we are also the answer. So, if Oryx believes this to be the final shape, guardians are already that. Sweet uh, wars won. <laughs> so. That could go a long way towards explaining how we're able to defeat him. But yeah, I'm sure he didn't, he didn't envision us being that. Right. Mm-mm. And and it's interesting just because um, within the universe of Destiny itself, there are a lot of hints that the kind of structure that Destiny or that Bungie's put in place is uh, the ideas of a deterministic universe. Um, very much that people... You know, we see this in the visions of the device very often that, you know, people's footsteps are laid out before them, their paths are already set, etc. And so, yeah, it's, you know, the final shape is this, if the universe is deterministic, yeah, the final shape is to escape that causality and escape the determinism so that you can, like you said, guardians make their own fate and orcs would like to be the same as well. Yes. So I'm going to, I'm going to finish out this card because it's kind of important. So my worm grows fat and hungry. Uh, I feed it with a whole world. My astronomers tell me that they can sense the deep itself and that we are conquering our way towards it. I think joy and sorrow will be the same thing soon, like love and death. So this is an interesting one because he says both, his worm grows both fat and hungry, like it's insatiable no matter how much he gives it. He's now feeding it with entire worlds. So you know, the, the ramp up in power here is enormous, but also the ramp up in what is required to maintain that power is also become, you know, world, world size. Uh, my astronomers tell me they can sense the deep itself. This is important because this is sort of, you know, I've long maintained this argument, the deep and the darkness are different things. The deep is a destination. The darkness is an entity. So they're moving towards the deep itself, meaning this place of pure raw power where the darkness may originate from, that's the path that they are on. Uh, and at the end here, like love and death, they, he already believes love and death to be the same thing. That is, you know, the, the sword logic. So joy and sorrow will soon be the same.
which which he already says is the same too and above where he feels sorry yeah. and joy both for the same reason so it yeah. looks like he's farther along than he thinks <laughs> Uh, right, and that so. takes us to verse 3-4, the Scream. This is a, a very important card. And this one or is bear. all caps. Yes. Well, and then it starts with all caps, too, uh, with just the word no. And I think now we have, after, you know, 18 species and 20,000 years of test fighting or however long they've been fighting since, you know, it's easy to get caught up in all that. And I think this is like a moment of sort of uh, recompense here for Oryx where he realizes, wow, they, they may have gotten a raw deal <laughs> from, from the worm gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, in, in the very next line or lines, he says, we are betrayed. We will never live eternal. So, yeah. Our, yeah. our might shatters entire species. We inhale the smoke of their burning. This is our compact with the worm, our god. The worm makes us mighty. Interesting note here in this sentence. The worm, our god, is capitalized. The worm makes us mighty is not. And there's a reference to, mm-hmm. like, the worm, our god, is ear and aka and er. Uh, and the worm, lowercase, is the one inside him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we wield this might, our worm's hunger expands. If we fail to feed it, it will devour us from within. So I think this is like a hindsight thing. <laughs> you know, it was like, <laughs> hey, we got this awesome worm. It makes us super powerful. And now we're off like we're we're masters of death. We're flying around giant moons. We have this cool sword space. We're conquering other realities, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, you take a moment and stop and think about it. Oh man, maybe we're not as powerful and free as we thought. Mm-hmm. And this next line is kind of interesting too, because just in the in the previous verse three three, you know, it, we find you know, or Ark says that they've um, wiped out eighteen species in that century, and then here he says we have exterminated three hundred and six worlds, and that's you know. There, there could be the species could kind of could cover multiple worlds. I'm not sure how that how they right. Well, I imagine like correlate the, that the there. Ammonites. I know they had a couple, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. exactly. Well, I guess so they, they inhabited the moons of fundaments. I guess it depends if we're counting every moon as a world. Yeah. Right. I think I remember the the harmony or the you uh, meme. They said, but they're told to you know inhabit multiple worlds. So this doesn't mean they they eliminated 306 species, but still, I'm. Um, imagining that it's quite a bit more than the 18 it quotes above so that's that's a pretty big number yeah and we don't have a reference for passage of time here either so Mm -hmm. exactly this could have been a really long time this could have been a very short period of time but we know that they're they're just getting more and more powerful Mm -hmm. yeah and then, then the next line is you know my worms hunger grows faster than the might that i draw from it as we are bound by our covenant to obey our nature eternal search, eternal cunning, eternal conquest. But as we do this, my siblings, we feed our worms. The more we feed them, the hungrier they grow, faster and faster. Yeah, and then it says, soon, yeah. soon, my siblings, we will be so mighty and our worms so hungry that not with all our might could we possibly feed them and we will be devoured. What can we do? So, And this is a good summary, you know, Oryx is eternal search, Savathun is eternal cunning, and Jivu is eternal conquest. 
but eventually you find all the things and you you conquer all the things. As for Sabathun, I mean, I guess you can always be cunning as long as there's somebody to be cunning around. I don't right. know. It, like, it makes me immediately think like, yeah, what what is she already plotting at this point? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So as, that's, that's an interesting thing because, you know, search is finite, conquest is finite, but cunning is not. So Sabathun may have the least raw deal here. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a great card. This card is is Oryx realizing that they need to be more than just this eternal conquering force. They've got they've got other concerns now, uh, because the more powerful they get and the stronger they get, uh, the the more dangerous their existence is. Mm. And then this takes us into verse three five, uh, and here we have what seems to be described as the first major encounter like the kugu card is like haha here's things that we found and they're silly and we killed them uh, <laughs> but here this is the first time we have the hive as an army running up against serious opposition right and so it's called dictata ear dakau something but dictata you have here drop means dictation lessons or exercises yeah, so I believe this is, this is lessons in lessons in Dakua, lessons in fighting them. Okay, and so it starts out kind of very formal, militaristic. Here we have uh, attention. Perimeter security units attend. Stand by to assimilate new imperatives. Uh, gland sixty proof assimilation liquor, or face immediate non-compliance taxation. <laughs> <laughs> So I think this is, I think this gland 60 proof assimilation liquor thing is uh, a biological function, maybe, uh, of this particular race. You know, again, going back to the fallen, uh, you know, we don't know that 60 proof assimilation liquor is an ether. Uh, Or could be Vex milk. Or that. Is Vex milk yeah. alcoholic? Can we drink that? <laughs> well, we know Kabir Kabir drunk it, right? And oh, that's he, right. And he might have gone a bit crazy. So, <laughs> and, and he turned into kind of a super weapon. So maybe that's a thing. Uh, but this next line is it. This is the uh, the Dakua Ministry of War is now online and true. Mm-hmm. So and followed again immediately by a classic bungee thing. Radial year nine eight nine groove three. What the hell does that even mean? <laughs> no concept of that time frame. <laughs> yeah, and here so there's a word here that it's used later that I had I had the note for it later on, but I actually didn't notice it here this time. But it says you know in radial year nine eight nine groove three, our clients in the Dakua nest salvage an interstellar spacecraft. Uh, the word client there. Um, I looked it up and it let me see if I can grab my notes here. Sorry. Oh yeah, it's so a client is a, a piece of computer hardware or software that accesses a service made available by a server. Um so it says the server is often but not always on another computer. Um in which case the client accesses the service by way of a network. Um so if anyone who's familiar with the Vex, that sounds an awful lot like how the Vex network kind of works. So I thought, thought that was 
kind of an interesting uh, word there, word choice there with clients. And this, whether or not this is the VEX, um, this race definitely seems to have right. a very some some yeah, technologically computeristic. Yeah, very even the, the line before that the Dakua Ministry of War is now online and true. You know, it definitely sounds like it's some sort of AI computer race of some sort. Yeah, and then we'll get there's other aspects here as well of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting here though is that so they they dated the this craft they found uh, twenty four thousand years ago. And they say around the same time the fundament system dropped out of contact with our amiable ecumen. So uh, the Dakua are friendly with the ecumen. Uh, and that the ecumen were in contact with people on fundament. Right. So and the Ammonite. Yeah. So that's that's like an interesting sort of connection that happens here. Also, you know, we know that Oryx and his sisters were training for 20,000 years. So that means, around, give or take, prior to and up to this point, there's 4,000 year sort of, you know, bookends mm-hmm. going on there. So whether all 4,000 happen up front, closer to this, or there was 2,000 between when they first got the worms inside them and then went to war with each other for 20,000, we don't quite know, but there's there's 4,000 years of wiggle room there, whatever a year is. <laughs> Right. This is interesting to me too, just because so the Ecumen and uh, the Dakoa here and the Ammonite were all in contact. And so, I mean, it kind of gives a sense of clearly how advanced these civilizations were. Because um, mm-hmm. even in, in the height of our golden age, some of the items, you know, you can read about, the kind of hint at, you know, maybe the golden age had contact with some things that were fairly far away. It's nothing definitive, but. I mean, clearly, these were evolved. These races were evolved even beyond what our golden age was at, because they, you know, clearly could keep tabs on each other. They knew, you know, almost instantly or very quickly when certain systems went offline and various things. So, I think it's just interesting to point out. You know, yeah, like you said, um, drop this. This was really one of the highest first kind of true tests against a very advanced civilization. Yeah. So, and this goes on to further what's interesting here this and i see that uh that dragon had highlighted uh semantic spike uh this screams to me just because in my in the past i've worked with sort of like uh semantic networks uh and learning systems and things like that for some of the work that I did previously uh but they're also used in neural circuit models so uh the idea of creating a sort of uh, a network or circuit design or computer design that mimic neural pathways of a human mind. This is something that's sort of mm-hmm. beyond current human technology. But this particular race has mastered sort of this sort of like uh, neural computing network. If this is in fact a reference to that, it seems like it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is, yeah, this is the discovery of a character we haven't heard from uh, in a long time. So mercenary explorers, disposable class, discovered an organism frozen in stasis deep within the hull of the ship. She claims to be Taox, member of a proto-hive species. During debriefing, she provided records of the fall of the Ammonite civilization and vital intelligence about motives, biology, and leadership of the hive. So 
this is huge. Uh, this is, you know, the hive have as a relatively new species, the hive as we know them are just sort of running roughshod over the known galaxy because nobody's ever fought something as powerful as them before. Uh, but here we have through Teox, uh, the Dakua discovering, wow, now we suddenly have all this intel on the hive uh, and we can, we can put a, put up a fight. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after this line, that, that paragraph there, you get another line that kind of suggests some sort of, you know, AI computer, you know, kind of programming type of thing. It says just like negative reinforcement bomb dot axon, you know, in these, Kind of seems like random letters and symbols, and definitely seems like some sort of mm -hmm, some sort of program. An axon, an axon is a part of a nerve cell. Mm -hmm. So again, I I, what I believe these lines here, these semantic spike, negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, and act impulse. I believe that these are this is a neural computer. Is what this is is what we're dealing with here. Okay, Uh, I think that whether this represents like the the pinnacle of their culture or the most intelligent minds of their culture we don't know how their like the dakua culture is set up uh but it seems like there is like a massive neural network that is making important decisions here you know negative reinforcement bomb axon could basically mean like you know you know punishment like you know thrash this axon to cause pain and, you know, in the next line says positive reinforcement, reward the axon. So it's like, and we have inflict and inspire. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that whoever is making the decisions for this particular civilization or race is doing so through this sort of like neural computer network. And it is kind of funny because right after the negative reinforcement line, it says that perimeter security units have failed to halt the hive incursion on 17 species or on 17 yeah. separate worlds. So it's the negative reinforcement seems appropriate there. It's also interesting here because it's all species in the ecumen face extinction, uh, which means that the ecumen aren't necessarily a race themselves, uh, that they are one species in a larger group. Uh, And amiable ecumen, again, like amiable ecumen could be sort of a group of, of cultures and species and civilizations that are all united under like a friendly banner, uh, sort of like a galactic council. Uh, and this is super interesting. And I'm going to bring this up because I can't not bring this up because (laughs) anybody who's reading this or listening to us talk about it, uh, and talking about the world ecumen, if you're familiar with halo, (laughs) You know that the ecumen and the ecumen council uh, is the highest form of government for the forerunners in Halo. And that the ecumen or the forerunners in Halo were composed of numerous species united under like millions of worlds. Uh, So not that I'm trying to tie these things together. We have a whole other episode that will be devoted to this. But no, you're not wrong. If you heard Ecumen, Amiable Ecumen, you're going to hear Ecumen Council. If you immediately thought, oh my God, that's the Forerunners, there's evidence being laid down here that it very well could be. <laughs> <laughs> but let's move and, forward. 
<laughs> yeah. And if and if nothing else, Bungie's kind of at least trying to establish in our minds how advanced a civilization this was. You know, because yes. we're all fami- we're all familiar with the forerunners, so it's like okay. So the hive are basically facing a forerunner type civilization. Yeah. Uh, like a quick a quick note there, like. Uh, the Ecumen spanned three million fertile worlds. They had achieved the greatest heights of technology and physical knowledge. Uh, so that comes directly from Halo. So that's the kind of civilization we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. So then, I don't, I don't even remember this reference. But on this next line here, drop you say it's similar to um, Vex later down. Yeah, I don't know well, if you so, want to go into that now. Or. Uh, so we just have alliances like decapitate, period, defer, period, promote Dakua strategic dicta for victory against the hive. So this is using Teox's information to sort of adapt the neural network to be able to face the hive. Again, this is very Vex like. Way later in verse five, we're going to see the Vex do something almost identical to this. Uh, so whether that sort of infers or establishes a connection here between the Dakua and the Vex, we don't really know, uh, just that there's very similar sort of themes happening here between these two species. Mm -hmm. And it could purely just be, you know, similarities based on the kind of the, you know, the computeristic, you know, AI type of communication that they use that could be really that could be the only connection here but it just when you read these it's hard not to try to make those connections and this next line is really important too because it shows that for all the intelligence they have and all this information they may not be a match for this is identify supreme hive leadership organisms arash sathona and gyro and we already know that those three do not exist anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. They are Oryx, Savathun, and Jivuarath. So the information they got from Teox, while accurate for the for what she had, they're facing a much greater foe that they do not know. Right, it's a bit outdated. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, on this next line, we have target these entities for maximum theater overkill. <laughs> Kadeometric release authorized. And this word comes up again, Rasputin uses this word, and it's Latin. It basically means to cut down um, or apart. So basically, and it's a, it's a made-up bungee word, really. But <laughs> <laughs> what we think it means is, yeah, you know, types of weapons that slice, dice, cut, pierce. Julian. Um, yeah, Julian. <laughs> Please, Julian, the high fleet. <laughs> <laughs> uh no yeah this is an this word shows up uh a lot this word shows up as something that rasputin can do he has sort of a kadeometric weapons at his disposal uh it shows up during the golden age uh it's mentioned you know uh, annihilation pumped kadeometric weapons uh it talks about and what's interesting here is that so you go through the the lore here so we have this first mention of it here, like this technology exists. Uh, later on, we find out that it's developed in the Golden Age. Rasputin has access to it. You know, keep following the timeline. And then we get to Ghost Fragment Mysteries, where 
Rasputin mentions he fought it with Aurora Knives. Uh, so that Aurora Knives line leads me all the way back to the Latin meaning for this word, which means cut down or apart. So Aurora mm. Knives could very much be a word for acadiometric weapons. We don't know what those actually are, like what that looks like, but there's enough of a connection there that they could be the same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's interesting in the, uh, the the Loki crown, you know, that's the acadiometric is what Rasputin was planning on using against the traveler to keep it there and keep it from fleeing. Um, I know we believe um, that that was kind of a... Um, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't. It wasn't uh, actual. Actually, uh, set to right. be. It was a contingency, contingency plan. plan. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but it's interesting that that's those are the weapons that he was planning on using against the traveler. So if you're thinking, oh, how would you just cut orcs? I can't, I can't imagine that being very effective. It must have been a pretty effective means, whatever it was. Right. Yeah. If well, nothing so- else, this word is always associated with kind of maximum technology, best weapons we've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In in the old Russia ghost fragment, I think what's the line there is an antimatter payload strategic asset. I believe it's an annihilation pumped cadiometric weapon. It's like, let's just use all the words to describe destruction in one thing. (laughs) 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 Uh, And that seems to be what the the Dakua want to do here. Uh, Prosecute targets wherever they manifest. Hive cohesion will crumble. Total victory over the hive will be achieved by clean sweep genocide. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're they're pulling no punches. Enact impulse and or vindicator. Yeah, so they're Whatever whatever giant neural network is is making these decisions, they have to. And again, this is so like vaguely anagled. And well, so not to get off track here, but you look at this card, you look at what's going on here, you look at the weapons that are being used, you look at the protocols that are being used, you're looking at either you know a neural network or artificial intelligence. This card could be a key to why Oryx fears Rasputin so much because he has mm. encountered an, a level of intelligence be it artificial or a neural network that has access to these unbelievably powerful weapons and we're going to learn in the next card they put up one hell of a fight and, mm-hmm. and just to bring it up very quickly since you mentioned Rasputin um, I can't off the top of my head I can't remember the exact words but in a lot of the Rasputin uh, kind of communiques he uses a lot of words that also kind of point to our war mind network being set up very similarly as a neural type network. Um, so we don't need to go into it now. You know, we can go into it on Rasputin episode, but the idea of the neural networks and things, there's evidence that Rasputin's network was set up very similar. So, And uh, if you're reading this last line or you're looking at it uh, and you say, Endora, why do I know that word? Uh, when I read it, the only thing I can think of is a really old RPG called Legend of Dragoon. Uh, and Indora was a boss in that game. Uh, wields two <laughs> gigantic axes. <laughs> uh, interesting, though, nice. that boss shows up uh, in a section of the game called Moon and Fate. So Awesome. And, <laughs> and the axe would work that. with the cutting down and kadiometric. 
So there you go. Take take that reference for what you will. That could be a very, very veiled Legend of Dragoon reference. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us right. to verse 3-6. Star by star by star. And so... Let's see. I'm trying to decide where to start here if we just want to jump to our comment. Um, this, comment this comment, yeah, is very interesting. It says, Never before have we despised our lords. Have they failed us? We, the hive, have been driven back world by world. So clearly this war um, has not been going as easy as the previous ones. Yeah, so what we have here at the beginning of this card just sort of describes the three sisters, or the one brother and three sister, two sisters, sorry, uh, the three siblings, entering the sword space and sort of embracing one another and being like, we're, we're in a bad way right now. Uh, and this is interesting, too, because they're doing it in full view of all of the hive. Uh, you know, we the hive watch as Sabathun puts her arm around Jivu Arath and Jivu Arath clasps forearms with Oryx and Oryx takes Sabathun by the shoulder. They are huge, huge, and they burn with furious power. But this embraces weakness and we despise it. Uh, this is the first hint that these lowercase cards uh, are from a more of a generalist hive viewpoint. Uh, I'd like to think that fire without fuel is wrong. Like it doesn't line up with that. Uh, but we're looking at this and then never before have we despised our Lords. That's, that is like a hive, not to use the word, you know, whatever, ironically, it is a hive mind. It is the collective hive thinking. There are these, these three gigantic hive lords, like our, our hive lords are weak. What's, what happened? Like, why are we being defeated all of a sudden? Uh, and this card, this card is very long, so we're not going to read the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I am at my end, Sabathun says. I plot and plan, but I cannot gather enough bloodshed to feed my worm, and the harder I try, the hungrier it becomes. I slaughter and kill, Jivu Arath says, but the harder I fight, the more my worm demands. I too am at my end. The Ecumen War Angels have killed me so many times, Oryx says, that I dare not go out into the universe. <laughs> so this is, this is crazy. This is the hive are are being pushed back for the first time there. They've encountered, you know, again, for the lack of a better term, they've encountered the forerunners and the forerunners are pushing them back, <laughs> uh, pushing yeah, them back it's, so it's much to, that even the collective hive are doubting them. Yeah. It's hard to imagine a foe so strong where Oryx is afraid to go out into the universe and is just hiding in his sword space. You know, it's yeah. hard to, Hard to imagine that. Granted, it's he's not Oryx yet, but still, it's yeah. it's not something you. I'm reading these the books of sorrows. Not something that you see really in any any of the other cards. And this is interesting too, and because this happens much later in the story, uh, you know. But we learn that there are creatures, in the direct words from Eris, there are creatures of the dark that strain against the will of Oryx. So we're not talking about Oryx with an O. We're talking about Oryx with an A-U here. But this here could have been the very first sort of uh, fermenting of rebellion against Oryx 
Savathun, and Jivu by the hive itself. So this is where we have creatures like Alakul the Darkblade could have looked up and said, look how weak they are. I can do something better. So there's a, the risk here now is that the hive could be sort of pulled apart from within. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, this, this line's interesting in kind of a weird way. We have Savathun who says, we should beg the worm our god to tell us what to do. And that seems kind of like a very big show of weakness. So either they were very desperate or Savathun being the cunning one, it does make you wonder if she's just saying the opposite of what she wants to be cunning and to try and mm-hmm. uh, gain or retain some of her strength. Yeah, this is an interesting. As, co- yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's, I could see it as you know, kind of almost her form of trying to be kind of of trickery, maybe hoping that Oryx would take the bait and then go and beg for the worms for this, knowing that that probably wouldn't end very well. <laughs> yes. Well, it's interesting. So this is the notes that I have here. So we have Jibu Arath puts down her great head. We should retire and gather our strength. And then Sabathun says that we should beg the worm gods to tell us what to do. Uh, but then you have Oryx who says, uh, you know, have you learned nothing? Why would you deny your own purpose? Whatever we do, we do by killing. Uh, mm-hmm. They have to obey their natures. And then I have this sort of line here. Uh, you know, we must be long-sighted and cunning and strong. We must take this gift from the worm. Take this gift the worm our God has given us, this challenge, and find a way to keep existing. I need to mention here uh, the line, we must take this gift the worm our God has given us, is incredibly important. Uh, it's going to come up very soon, but it's very important to remember that they believe this to be a gift that was given to them. Uh, I also have a note here that sort of says, you know, we'll discover this, that Oryx's plan in all this, you know, other than his two sisters, again, Jivu Arath's goes against her nature. Savathun, if she's sincere, goes against her nature. Uh, but Oryx refuses to do that. Like he understands that he, you must go and take what you want. Mm-hmm. And he he always he's always long sighted. That's always seems yes. to be he's always looking a little bit farther than their current you know, situation. Yeah. So, and this is where sort of we're, right now this in this moment we are witnessing the birth of what will how Oryx will become Oryx the Taken King. Like this is the very genesis mm-hmm. of that right here. Right, so we have uh, Shivu Arath basically tells Oryx, she says, then kill me and use that killing logic, the power you prove by killing something as mighty as me. Um, And so yeah, this strategy that they're kind of devising is interesting because the strategy is basically that Oryx in himself will take upon him the powers of his two sisters by killing them. Um, So Oryx being loving to his sister took his, took up his blade and beheaded her. <laughs> um, so that moment we know that Oryx gains the powers of uh, Shivu 
So then, and strangle me, says Savathun, holding a blade behind her back. Use that killing logic, the cunning you prove by killing something as smart as me. Um, but then orcs turned with the speed and might of Shivu Aroth, which he had just beheaded, so he gained her power, and beheaded Savathun before she could move. So now we have, um, you know, orcs having yeah. killed both his sisters kind of in this desperate attempt. Yeah, so now we have Oryx with the strength and power of Jivu and the cunning and wisdom of Savathun. Although Dragon makes a great note here that, you know, even here Savathun is trying to kill Oryx with treachery. Uh, she can't help it, man. That's what she does. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love her. <laughs> but, you know, this, this, the suggestion, though, that this suggestion comes from Jivu Arath. Uh, and this makes me think that Jivu understands the sword logic greater than either of his uh, brother or sister do. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, the sword logic demands always that you take what you need. You never give. And here, Jivu gives this to Oryx. Uh, Jivu puts up no fight against Oryx. Uh, Savathun does not. Savathun was planning treachery, therefore Oryx did indeed take it from her. But Jivu gave this to, to Oryx, and I think Jivu understood that the only way that they were going to succeed is to, through mastery of the sword logic, defy the sword logic. And I think that's a decision only Jivu could have made. And an interesting note here is it says also that these were true deaths, for they happened in the sword world. Um... We we know if anyone who's read further in the cards know that's not quite true because they eventually come back. Um, so my question, you have a note here drop where it says, right, these are this is the sword space, not throne worlds. So yes. I just had the question. So are are those separate? I believe them to be. I believe that the sword space is that green fire that connects the hive together from moon to moon to moon to moon. They, they, they cut wounds in the world and they pass through them. That's the sword space. Throne worlds, mm. I believe are something different. Throne worlds exist in the sword space, but they are bastions within that sword space. And we'll learn later, especially from Oryx's daughters, things like the oversoul uh, and, and these spaces that they carve out for themselves these throne worlds, uh, they exist in the sword space, but they are not the same thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, it, and that would make sense because if the throne world were your ultimate, if I die here, I'm doomed. You'd want an oversoul as kind of you know extra yeah. protection. But also, up until yeah, this well, point, they don't know the difference. They haven't right. even established throne worlds yet. They they know the sword space, and that's what they know. Well. Well, I, th- I think they just did, though, because in 3-1, you know, when they are learning the sword space, well, at least maybe they haven't established them yet, but they are planning on it because Oryx says, you know, let us establish our thrones here. So wouldn't that be kind of a... Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. A lead into them starting to create there. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, that the difference there is they're in the sword space, but then they create their throne there. They're kind of their separate throne worlds within the sword space yeah uh yeah and here we go and then he went to the worm named akka this is 
This is the removing the middleman. <laughs> uh, but so not quite the, yet. Yeah, not quite yet, because we get taken to the next card. So verse 3, 7, eat the sky, which begins um, very positively with emergency imperative. So it seems that all of the plans that the... De- I can never pronounce it. Dakawa? Dakua? Yeah. Them. <laughs> all all of their plans do not seem to be going well. Mm-hmm. And where it was, I believe in that, the first card where we're introduced to them, it's, you know, gland, is it gland 60 proof? 60 proof. Now it's, yeah, it's, now it's gland 120 proof. So whatever that, the difference is there. <laughs> fight, fight or flight. I think this is sort of like, this is their last desperate ditch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but here we, we go. Have... Ecumen, Ecumen Crisis Council is now online and true. So I think what this also represents is, uh, this is the Dakua are being are now being pushed back by the hive. Uh, and they realize that they don't have much left and that they need they need the help of the other ecumen races mm-hmm. or species out there. They can't do this by themselves, no matter how much intelligence they have. Right. I kind of, you know, liken it to, you know, in our our world now, um, we have, you know, if someone starts attacking England, you know, if it gets to a point where England can't control it or, you know, they might, you know, request help from the UN and then the UN would come in and, you know, support with other countries in a way. I kind of see that the similar scenario here. Yeah. What's interesting, what just kind of crossed my mind too is there's no mention of the traveler at all in like these, in these verses that we've been reading so far. Yeah, it just struck me that it's it's interesting that we know the hive are chasing you know kind of the traveler's light, but there's no mention of the traveler at all, um, in any of these species. And to a degree, that makes some sense because to me it seems that all of these species are so advanced. I'm not sure what the traveler would be doing. You know, the traveler always yeah. seems to want to kind of uplift civilizations. So I'm not sure what the traveler would be doing here, but it's yeah. just interesting. And this is where this is our entry into sort of something happened with the hive that has suddenly made them unbelievably powerful. Uh, and that is what we learn mm-hmm. right here, which is as of radial groove at 999 90 groove zero. Uh, okay. What is a radial 990 and how many grooves are in one? Thanks. <laughs> uh, Thanks, Bungie. The hive has launched a staggering counterattack across the spinward frontier. Perimeter, militia, and shock fleet report total casualties. We anticipate total ecumen disintegration extinction within 220 years. Uh, First of all, if they have total casualties, who's reporting back? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're they're advanced enough. Maybe there's, you know, neural synapses on these ships or things and they, well, they they fire off one final time in defeat. (laughs) Well, so... Here, I'll propose something else. Uh, we know that one of the things that the ecumen did or the forerunners did in their battle with the flood was develop incredibly advanced artificial intelligences. Uh, things like uh, medicant bias uh, or these super powerful AI. So if all the if all the people are killed, it could be the AIs reporting back. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting to me, the last line, the, um, 
where they deter- they anticipate extinction within 220 years. It it's just interesting because it, it reminds me of Pradith um, on the Paradox mission when he's talking about the Vex, where the Vex, you know, it seems like they've calculated down to the day when they're going to mm-hmm. go extinct as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you know, it's not really. It doesn't seem like a human, you know, phrase. There, it's like you can't a human can't really look at a situation and be like, oh yeah, our whole species is going to be extinct in 220 years. And that seems like a, uh, you know, some intelligence of some kind is able to see all the data, all the resources coming in, the enemies coming in, their food stock, the population, kind of everything at once and can kind of calculate this exact date. Sounds like a warm mind. Yeah, it actually does. <laughs> and even the fact that they have to almost use two words to describe extinction. It's not, it's not just total, you, you can mean extinction, it's disintegration as well, which is kind of a, we, which could even refer, separation. Yeah. The, the yeah, idea that they're I, kind of, yeah. An alliance. It's the disintegration of the alliance. Mm-hmm. So, and here we have our very, very first mention of hive entity Oryx with an O. Mm-hmm. Uh, deploying a paracausal, ontopathogenic weapon that infects and subverts ecumen forces. Uh, This weapon operates on individual targets. Targets are abducted and then return as compliant hive slaves with inexplicable and physically illegal abilities. This is... Never seen that before. (laughs) Yeah, this is what it is to be taken. So this is where we learn that the reason the hive have suddenly been able to destroy the uh, Dakua and the Ecumen so quickly is that Oryx AU has become Oryx and is now the Taken King and is basically taking all their forces and turning them back against themselves. casualties. why then, I, I'm sure it's just stupid game, whatever, but <laughs> if, Oryx, <laughs> if Oryx has all these Ecumen... Uh, taken forces why didn't he unleash them when he got to our solar system well i bring this up later too because we're going to learn that oryx with an o i think moving forward now after this next card will will oryx will always mm-hmm. mean oryx with an o unless we uh, say otherwise uh he takes some unbelievably powerful beings and I, we never face these things uh and mm-hmm. i'm like ridiculously powerful uh so we'll t- we'll talk about that I think when we get to it and then we'll mention it back up here too. Okay. And then this next line, this is what you were referring to earlier, Dragon, about your the clients. It says mm-hmm. all Ecumene clients should immediately devote all economic and cognitive resources to a countermeasure. Um, so, yeah, so that yeah. it's all pieces of the network, you all computer systems, you know. That's kind of how I read that all parts of this network. Again, it's worth noting here, this is incredibly similar to the forerunners fighting the flood. Like this is how the flood defeated the forerunners by just Mm -hmm. assimilating them all into the biomass and then using the grave mind to subvert medic and bias against them. (laughs) Which is very similar. Maybe that's why the hive want to take over Rasputin. It's just well again, yeah. Well, <laughs> like this is one of those things where it's like, you know, and this is a theme that occurs to a lot of different sort of like bungee properties. You know, whether it's Marathon, 
uh, or it's Halo, or it's uh, Destiny, true AI, inorganic artificial intelligence, stands up to, like, the vast, like, space magic, sorry, like, not not happening. The flood can't, the flood can turn, you know, uh, an AI rampant, but they can't control it. They can't take it over. Uh, Oryx can, can't take inorganic beings, and Rasputin is a purely inorganic super intelligence that he has no way of controlling uh, mm. you know even in marathon you know it's down to like uh entities like i mean tycho and durandal both are rampant although durandal enters metastability uh the space magic only affects them so much they they represent a serious threat to those beliefs because of how they're constructed artificial intelligence is an incredibly powerful entity in most bungee properties. So, but yeah, here, here we go. Verse 3 8, The King of Shapes. Mm-hmm. And after reading this, like, I, you know, I'm not sure why this verse came after 7, because it pretty much, I feel like that 7 would have been explained a lot better if this would have came first, but. Right. That's one of those. I bet you're wondering why Oryx <laughs> changed his name again. Well, let us tell mm-hmm. you. <laughs> well, I think they wanted to establish, like, you know, Ecumen Council, incredibly powerful, Hive being pushed mm-hmm. back. All of a sudden, Ecumen Council being devastated. What happened? Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's the prequel. <laughs> so, this is verse 3 8, the King of Shapes. Uh, this is the coronation of Oryx, the Taken King. It happened thus. And in my notes, I put who is actually recounting this. Uh, In the cold abyss of the sword world, King Arash walked under the cloak of green fire. Note that it says King Arash here, not King Oryx AU. Uh, He walked through the sky, and the sky shuddered and froze beneath his feet. He walked until he found Akka, the worm of secrets, who was denying a truth until it became a lie. Uh, And my note here, that is insane ontopathogenic power that is that is unmaking something that is the ability to deny something that is true until it becomes untrue like that's ridiculous uh Aka, my god worm of secrets i am oryx sole king of the hive he killed his two sisters i have come to receive a secret i want the secret power of the deep which you hold uh I give no secrets, said Akka, whose voice was code. No, said Oryx, you give nothing. Giving is for the sky. You worship the deep, which asks that we take what we need. Akka said nothing, because if it denied this truth, the truth might also become false. But you gave us your lava, larvae, the worm, said Oryx, and that is why the worm devours us now because it was given not taken so i must take from what i need from you although you are my god said akka you have not the strength so let's stop right there real quick uh back up to the line giving is for the sky this is again i said that this would be important later on and it is uh jivu gave the knowledge of his death to oryx uh, Oryx did not take it. Uh, we have to always remember this. You know, the worms do not give. And if they do give, it is always with a caveat, which is what happened with the worms. 
pure giving mm-hmm. is for the sky. Jivu Arath gave Oryx her death with no caveat. Like that was like pure, pure giving that, that may betray the nature of Jivu Arath a little bit here. Uh, I found that connection to be really, really interesting. Mm. Yeah. And I think the next part there is kind of important because there's a lot of discussion about, about the, the warm gods and you know, who they are, what they are about, whether they are, you know, the darkness, the deep, but here Oryx says to Akka that, you know, you worship the deep. And so it's kind of telling in there and me for me that the worms aren't, you know, the darkness, the, the deep, they just, they are, they still worship whatever else is out there. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, to go uh, back, go ahead, drop. No, go ahead. Well, I was, I was going to take us off topic slightly, but, um, <laughs> just to go back to the whole giving thing and the taking it i'm just curious there's always you know theories on eris and what exactly she did or what happened to her town in the in the moon but it's interesting because you wonder if at some point she took a worm when she killed the hive for their eyes or whatever you know the fact that she took a worm it would make you wonder what kind of power she would gain or various things because if she took it in theory the worm wouldn't crave light as if, you know, the worm had been given to her. Yeah. There, there it's, very off to- it's very off topic and very topic. conspiracy theory, but <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I'll mention this here too. We've talked about this. We talked about this in the fan chat a little bit. Uh, the deep and the darkness, I think I mentioned before, they're not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, when, when Oryx says, I want the power of the deep, uh, he says that the worms worship the deep. They very much worship this place of power. Uh, this, you know, the deep is the core of where this this power comes from. Uh, the right. darkness I think, is just... I think you're like, oh, I want the powers of hell. Yeah. You know, it, it's a place, how, but yeah. same kind of idea. And that's how I put it uh, in our fan chat sort of a little bit where I was like, you know, if you're imagining it this way, you know, the deep is very much hell. And these worm gods are like greater demons of hell. The darkness itself, that's the devil. And he's got better things to do. He has his own agenda. (laughs) You know, he's a force unto himself. Now you can gain great powers by sort of like tapping the powers of hell, which is what demons essentially do. But they're not the darkness itself they're just agents that utilize this particular power uh, and that's the power that oryx wants here he wants the power of the deep he doesn't want to be the darkness he doesn't want he's not acting upon the darkness's agenda like he's he has an oath to keep he's hunting taox he's got the the sword logic to uphold he believes he's cleansing you know the universe for the the final shape he's not the darkness he just wants the power of the deep in order to do those things. And he's also bound by his worm. He's got to find a way out of that too. Yeah. Uh, so said Akka, you have not the strength, but this was a lie. Oryx had killed Savathun, his sibling, and Jivu Arath, his sibling, and he had the sword logic of killing them. 
Oryx, the first navigator, set upon his god with sword and his word and cut Akka to pieces and took from those pieces the secret of calling upon the deep. He wore this secret in a set of tablets, which he called the Tablets of Ruin, and he wore them about his waist. Then Oryx said, Now I may speak to the deep, the beautiful final shape. I will be king of shapes, and I will learn the secrets of our destiny. Har har. Uh, <laughs> his speech to the deep is not recorded here. And I just want to point out, you know, where this is. His speech to the deep is not recorded here. This is a third party saying this. Uh, you know, it could be Oryx recounting himself in the third person, but it seems strange. Mm-hmm. But it is known that he returned and he said, now I am Oryx, the taken king, and I have the power to take life and make it my own. And he went out into the universe and fought the ecumen with his tablets and the worm his god was pleased. <clears throat> There's a lot going on there, so we should we should take a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so here we have we have Oryx taking taking out the middleman like the, the chain of command here goes like the power of the deep is sort of gated by the worm gods and then given to Oryx through the worm inside him. And Oryx has decided that to get rid of the middleman here, take out Akka, which is one of the, the worm gods, and learn how to directly commune with the deep itself. And then by doing that, he transforms yet again into Oryx, the Taken King. And uh, then he, he writes the secrets on the tablets, which are important later, because we know yes. mm-hmm. one of those tablets gets placed in Golgoroth's cellar. Yes. Um, so and the in theory... Is that the same tablet that lights up as people die? Yes, that is that tablet. Okay. So this is interesting. Yeah, so, and he wore them about his waist. If you look at the character models for Oryx, he has nothing around his waist. Uh, right. I think my my fan like, theory is that either they're along his back or he was wearing some type of backpack because in the raid, he never does turn his back to us. So <laughs> they could still be there. Yeah, but when we chase him around in regicide, he doesn't have anything on his back. I mean, Ghost lives in our backpack. But is that his true... I guess, fine, whatever. (laughs) You win, drop. He didn't have a cool hive backpack. I get it. I'm just saying that they make a point here of saying, and he wore them about his waist, but he never actually has them hanging about his waist in any of the... (laughs) The times we see him. Right. Although it's interesting because based on the size of the one in Golgroth's cellar, you'd think the manifestation of him like in his, in Regicide maybe isn't like a full manifestation. Because if, if they're truly that size, as in Golgroth's cellar, I mean, obviously they're not on the character model at the end of the raid, but it's yeah. more proportionate there. Yeah, I mean, they're just, I mean, there's tons and tons and tons of pictures of Oryx. Like, you can just, you know, Google the word Oryx and do an image search. You never see those tablets. Uh, so yeah. who... But anyway, really we're we're, uh, we're diverging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah, now he is the king of shapes. And this is, we never really hear that title from him. Uh, but that is what he is in fact referred to as the king of shapes. Uh, the speech is not recorded, which is interesting. I mean, he, he obviously knows what it is because he gave it. Uh, but it's, let's go to this very last line. Uh, this very last line, and the worm his god was pleased. So, and I the note that I made here was that, you know, 
the knowledge of the deep is all it takes to defeat the ecumen. Like within the second he emerges as Oryx, he is just thrashing them back. Uh, and this could have easily been accomplished if the worm gods themselves had just stepped in and said, Hey, uh, like you're failing your mission. Like maybe they didn't care because they were already free. Uh, but by not helping the hive, they forced Oryx to go and do this, to go and kill Akka, one of their own. Uh, so why are they so pleased? Uh, yeah. So, well, I got, and I got me, Dragon saying to see them comment above. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my thinking is, I mean, one, it's possible the worms among themselves have infighting, you know they might have not liked having Akka around or they're just pleased because they, they knew that Oryx needed the power of the deep, but they knew they couldn't give it to him because the sword logic is taking. So once Oryx finally kind of manned up and took it, then the worms were pleased because they're like, okay, he gets the sword logic. Yeah. Well, they could also be pleased because this just means that Oryx is now more powerful, but he's still bound by his worm and they could, they know that. So, is it possible that you know Akka could still be you know alive in some sense? And we know that you know the the bones of uh, their father's worm kind of spoke to Savathun, um, and then you know, ah- Ahamkara bones. We know that those you know they kind of they speak and they have voices. You know, is this something where you know though Oryx? killed Akka, cut him up, It's he still has a presence of some sort? Uh, I, I believe so. I'm not convinced that Akka is totally dead here. Uh, we don't know the full extent of the power of these worm gods. And, you know, it's like if, if Ascendant Hive can't be killed unless they're in their own sort of throne worlds, who's to say that the worms are any less? Right. So we have one more verse here until we get to to verse four. So I yeah. say, so let's get through three nine, and if we only we might have part four, of <laughs> three and four for this, <laughs> but uh, let's get through three nine here. Okay. So this one is carved in ruin. So it says, Orcs made war on the Ecumen for a hundred years. At the end of those hundred years, he killed the Ecumen Council on the Fractal Wreath. And from their blood rose Shivu Aroth, saying, I am war, and you have conjured me back with war. And so yes. this is very interesting because it, and this comes up later, but, um, you know, they all have their true, uh, I don't know how to describe their true callings. So that's not quite the right word, but. True natures. You, or... Nature, there we go. Um, but if we, if you describe them, then it appears they can they can return from death, even if it was a quote unquote true death. I wonder if this power here is a power that Oryx got from the tablets. You know, and that would could explain why, when the comment was made before in the cards, that that was their final death because it happened in the sword space. At that point, Oryx was still you know, Oryx with AU and hadn't. You know, taken tablets of ruin, and so maybe this power wasn't available at the time. 
Yeah, that's possible. I mean, if he has direct, and it doesn't say either, he now either way death. clearly, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if he can commune directly with the deep, I'm guessing he gained more powers than just taking. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, I mean, that's interesting. We find out later that describing the description of a thing is so powerful in the hive because uh, you can essentially make a thing real by describing it. Uh, that right. goes along with those mm-hmm. ontopathogenic and, and paracausal powers. So it's like, you know, true belief in the description of a thing brings that thing to life. Uh, right. it, Jivu, it, Jivu did this to resurrect Oryx. Right, and it's uh, kind of, um, this is just a personal theory, but going back to the tablets of Ruin and Golgoroth's cellar, the fact that every time someone dies, it kind of lights up part of the tablet. To me, it's always been that communion with the deep is predicated very much on death. And so as a guardian dies, they're describing death, you know, by dying. And so the tablet becomes activated slowly as um, essentially the descriptions are fulfilled. Well, I, I believe that it it's more that it takes an amazing, like a lot of, it takes light, it takes the power of light to activate those tablets. Uh, and that's, you know, interesting where one of Oryx's powers comes from is the ability to sort of take and corrupt light uh, is a thing that he does. So without, without the light, this is another interesting thing here, you know, without the light, what there's nothing for Oryx. Uh, it's sort of like, I'm going to destroy everything and, you know, eradicate the light. Well, without it, you're, you don't have much, like, what's left for you. It's like, sort of like the weird paradox of, like, uh, vampires wanting to conquer the world and make everybody into a vampire. It's like, well, then you have no people to, you have no people to feed on. Like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, getting back to this. Uh, yes, I am war and you have conjured me back with war. Said, and Oryx was glad, uh, for he loved Jivu Arath and the ecumen wailed in grief. I like that line. It's a a feeling I believe to much greater extent. But you know, playing Trials of Osiris, and you know, you you maybe it's get a one on one. You get the other. Everyone else is dead, and you get to kill that last guy. And you, you kind of start thinking there's lots of some hope, or maybe you just have like one person left, and then all of a sudden, two guys in their team, you know, self revive. And you're just like, no, we had these guys. <laughs> we only had one left. All we had to do. And it's like, now they're just, you know, I bet in their mind, they're like, all right, well, at least there's only Oryx that we have to deal with, even though he's got these greater powers now. There's just still one of them. And then now, yeah. now there's two again. <laughs> it's also interesting because here again, you know, you know, Oryx was glad for he loved Jivu Arath. These no matter how powerful he becomes, like he's directly communing with the deep. He slayed one of the worm gods. He's this juggernaut of a force plowing his way across the known universe, slaughtering everything he encounters. He can still be happy. Uh, he still loves his sisters. Like, and that love is war and that war is love, Mm. but still like it's, it's for the lack of a better term, he's still a person. Like he's still bound by these things like happiness, like joy and sorrow and love and war. It's not just like he is a machine stomping out 
everything mm-hmm. in the universe. Uh, hey, his sister just came back to life and he, he, he did it and he loved her. And that, now he's happy that it happened. It's like, he's not just an engine for, for evil and sorrow. Like mm-hmm. you would be thrilled. You like if, if your sister sacrificed herself so you could become super powerful and then you became super powerful and by virtue of being super powerful, you brought your sister back to life. You'd probably be pretty happy too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So then and then Oryx, continuing on. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you read this one, John. Ah, then Oryx and Jivu Arath made war on the Ecumen for forty years. At the end of those forty years, Oryx said to the Dakua Nest, "Listen, I am jealous of my sibling Jivu Arath. Help me kill her." And in desperation, they they agreed. But he drove the Dakua Nest into a trap, and they were made extinct. From their ashes rose cunning Savathun, saying, I am trickery, and you have conjured me back with trickery. So here we have Oryx basically doing the same thing, uh, <laughs> laying this great this great trap uh, for the Dakua and luring them into it and destroying them with it. And that, that act of cunning, that laying and executing that trap is what calls Savathun back. Uh, this seems weird to me. I made a note here that, like, why would why would the Ecumen ever agree to this? <laughs> it's like yeah. they they were winning. Oryx comes back as Oryx, destroys them, takes them, resurrects his dead sister, who is the embodiment of war, <laughs> and then just says, "Oh no, wait, help me kill her." Why? What? <laughs> what? Uh, it just seems like a weird play for them. I don't know. I mean, in, it says they're desperate. In desperation. <laughs> I guess, but jeez. Yes, if there was just a chance yeah. that maybe they could only fight one of them again, I guess they had to take it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. from there, obviously, Savathun came back because of the trickery. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And it, this is interesting. These next two lines are kind of interesting because it says, the Ecumen f- fled into the void, but then the next sentence says, then they made war on the Ecumen for a thousand years and exterminated them so wholly that nowhere except in this book are they remembered. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming they pursued them into the void. It doesn't really say that. It would seem weird if they fled and then they kept fighting. But I think void here just means sort of like the vastness of space. Yeah. I do have a, a ridiculous theory you know. <laughs> no. Yeah, as I can tell by the six O's in or. Right. Because <laughs> um, it, it's right after Savathun is resurrected, and it makes you wonder, because we know that Savathun is the one who tricks Crota into cutting into the space where the Vex are. And there's a tiny part of me that wants to wish that the Ecumene are the Vex to a degree, and... uh Savathun kind of lied to orcs saying that they killed them all. But in reality, she knew where some more were and just kind of waited to use them later to come back knowing they'd fight orcs. But that theory also makes no sense at all because when the Vex find orcs, <laughs> they have no clue what he is. And they're just a <laughs> yeah. bunch of architects and engineers. So whatever. <laughs> well, no. So there's one, there's one last line tagged on there at the back. Uh, this last sentence. Uh, this book and the mind of Teox, who was not found. So, mm-hmm. she's still out there. Yeah. Somehow, surviving. It's amazing. 
who like <laughs> of if they're like if if Oryx is the embodiment of exploration and curiosity and Savathun is the embodiment of cunning and trickery and Jivu Arap is the embodiment of war, Manteox is the embodiment of survival. <laughs> First blade she, dancer confirmed. She goes invis the whole time. Like at this point they're what? So, you know, the war on the Ecumen was 140 years. Uh, Plus another then, they thousand. Made, then they made another thousand. So now we're talking of in excess of 25,000 years since, <laughs> since the fall of <laughs> Fundament mm-hmm. and Teox is still alive. They've been chasing her for that long. Yeah. So I like the next two lines here are, are pretty awesome. Kind of here where, you know, Sabathun comes in and you know, she's been dead now. And so she kind of just asks, you know, King Oryx, how will we feed our worms? Did you use my plan? And then his response here is, is pretty awesome. He just says, you know, Oryx told the hive, I am the Taken King, and here is my law. And so it's just like, we don't need to use any plans anymore. This is, I am the Taken King. This is what we're doing now. And then, yeah, and then I made it. This is a reference uh, to vision the grim grimoire card vision 47 which is an osiris card uh and it mentions or like and i've always believed this like the second comes in bones uh teeths offering feasts carrying laws i believe that describes the hive and oryx almost completely uh between the bone covered chips and the bone covered weapons and all that stuff and then sort of like we have the tits here which will show up in a later line and carrying laws, you know, which is very much what Oryx is doing. Yeah. I I think for time, we don't need to read the whole thing, but Oryx's plan is summed up very well, a little further down here. He says, take enough devastation to feed your worm and a little more to grow and take the tithe of your followers. Um, so basically, yeah, Oryx's plan is only take what you need a tiny bit more to grow and then tithe all the rest of your um, your devastation to the person above you. And they keep doing that, and then orcs that way, and Sabathun and the ones on top get a perpetual flow of light, basically. Yeah. Because well, the Thrall, next don't, line says, Thrall don't need as much light as orcs or a wizard, per se. Well, the next line says, you know, take another portion as much as you dare and use it for your own purposes. Mm-hmm. But if it is too much, your peers will kill you and take it. Uh, then teeth the remainder to the ascendant you serve. So there he he did include this little like you're hey, you're welcome to skim off the top, but if we find you doing it, we're gonna kill you and take it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, then, and then and then he defines the ascendant. Yeah, and ascendant will be those among the hive who gather enough tribute to enter the netherworld. They will pay a tithe to those above them. So um so and that's all, you'd think yeah. Thrall and things can't cut their own sword spaces or enter in themselves, but there are Hive who are powerful enough to, yeah, gain entrance. Yeah, you know, and thus the tribute will flow up the chain so that Savathun and Zivu Arath and myself will be fed by a great river of tribute, and we will use that excess to feed our gods and to study the deep. Thus all worms will be fed as long as we continue our crusade. This is my law. I carve it thus in ruin. I ought. Uh, 
and that takes us to verse four, but I think we're going to stop here. We'll, we'll talk about the meaning of the word ayat. This is the first appearance in the books, uh, but we'll save that for next time. It's a, <laughs> I don't think it's that beta, beta, does, <laughs> beta doesn't like that word very much. Uh, I love it. I think it's, yeah. it's fantastic. It, well, it's going to come up a lot in the, in the books as we move forward. So we'll, we'll talk about exactly what that means uh, when we get to that point. Yeah, and, and but yeah, so for now here we have it's fun to point out that we are on page nine of twenty-seven in our notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but so this, real I quick, this is just a, on that. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that last part. Does it give go into other detail later on about how they tithe killing? Space magic. Is is that is that the answer space magic? <laughs> well it just says well, take no. enough killing to feed your worm and a little more to grow tithe the rest to the acolyte who commands you and then you know so forth you know the acolyte you know take the tithe from your thrall you know and then take enough killing to feed your worm and a little more to grow and then the remainder to the knight or wizard who commands you like how do, what you know do we know anything of the the method on how they tie what are they tithing here well this is the question <laughs> i mean the 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 catch-all term there seems to be light Light, uh-huh. but we know, like, if you explore the hive architecture, especially below the moon and on the dreadnought, uh, you can even scan some with your ghosts. That there's these huge containers, uh, these huge cylinders, and light is stored within them. Uh, how that's collected, where we don't really know. Like, we know that wizards have the ability to flay light off of guardians. Like, they they can treat light almost as if it had physical properties. Uh, and sort of like take it and collect it and strip creatures of light of that light. Uh, how they collect it and store it, we don't really know. Uh, we know that almost all the hive are interconnected through the sword space. So, you know, it could be just as much as, you know, collecting a giant bucket of light and sending it up the chain to the next guy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in Golgoroth's cellar, the light is contained within those spheres. Oh. Uh uh the, the and the shrines of oryx and we we're talking about this earlier so the shrines of oryx if you go down into the moon and head towards the uh the shrines of oryx through the halls of wisdom it's architecture unlike anywhere else in any hive location there's these giant cables and and devices and those light cylinders show up so you know, this could look so foreign because this could very much be maybe they're pumping light through those things into the shrine to send it back to Oryx. Like the only person below Oryx would be Crota. Uh, so maybe this the shrine of Oryx is more than just a shrine. You know, maybe it is a device for processing and shipping light back to wherever Oryx happens to be. Uh, so good, good thoughts, good thoughts. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap us up here. All so, right. thank you, everyone. So, for your so well, just real quick, uh, right yeah. before we do it. So, you know, episode one brought us to the hive, uh, and now we have episode two is bringing us to this much more organized and arranged hive, like this, this crazy frenzy of, you know, wacky hive army thing that just sort of stomped over everything they found is now been structured and organized and arranged and is completely under the control of Oryx. He is the guy at the top now. Mm-hmm. The sole king of the hive. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, just to say it again, don't forget we have the contest going on. So once again, it's going to run till the end of the month. We want you to tweet at D Ghost Stories, and we would like you to tweet your favorite lore topic with the hashtag DGS3DGhost. So, and then um, we'll we'll tweet that out so you have it the exact yeah. letters there. We'll we'll stick it in the show notes. We'll make sure you guys know where it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, thanks everyone for listening, and we will catch you next time. All right. Yeah. Have we'll a see you again for, for Books of Star Wars Part Three. Absolutely. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Take it easy. See ya.